welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. Could you write the first draft of your book in just 90 days? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and that's the question we're going to answer in this week's podcast episode. But before we get into all of that, here's a quick personal update from me. So I'm recording this episode in the middle of September. It's autumn, the leaves are starting to turn and autumn is certainly one of my favorite seasons of the year. There's something about it that inspires fresh or creative thinking and I always enjoy writing early in the mornings, you know, when it's misty or late at night. Actually, a couple of years ago, I enrolled in a series of creative writing classes in the autumn in the Irish Writer Centre in Dublin. And it was after those classes that I started writing fiction, literary Irish fiction, and then later got into blogging and nonfiction and so on. But at the time when I was, you know, studying how to write fiction, I didn't really study how to tell great stories. And great stories are important no matter if you want to write fiction or literary fiction or if you want to write nonfiction or even if you just want to, you know, put together a compelling blog post that people are likely to read and share. In other words, it's not enough to craft a fantastic sentence or to write a really informative blog post. If you want to write something that stands apart, you need to insert a little bit of yourself into the work, you know, to relate it to something that's happened in your life. Or if you don't have something like that that you can draw upon, Perhaps you can relate it to something that happened in somebody else's life from a book that you read or biography and so on. Because ultimately stories are how we make sense of the world. The other thing that I'm working on is the finishing touches for a new course on writer's block. So I've spent the past few weeks editing and recording videos for this course. And I've also put together the lesson notes and materials. I'll be launching the course uh, later this month or possibly in October. So if you're interested in getting access, just visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and I'll send you all the details. Now, writer's block, storytelling and writing fiction are three different topics that we get into in this week's podcast episode. I had the opportunity to catch up with Louise Dean. She's a British novelist who has written four books, including The Coming Strangers, This Human Season, The Idea of Love and The Old Romantic, which was an Oprah book of the week. And her book, Becoming Strangers, was long listed for the Man Booker Prize. But Louise does more than that. She also teaches aspiring novelists how to write great fiction and tell stories. And she has a unique approach to writer's block. We get into all of that in this week's episode. We cover the one skill every writer must learn. We talk about why 90 days or a season, a season like autumn, is the perfect amount of time for first drafts. How Louise approaches writing and her business, whereby she coaches other writers. What it's like when your work or book becomes an Oprah book of the week and her radical approach to fighting writer's block that she recommends, particularly to new aspiring novelists. There's lots more we cover, but I started by asking Louise to give us a bit of background information about her writing career to date. Yeah, sure. I've been writing for a long time now. Gosh, I've been writing for about 25 years, I suppose, really, but formally about um, 20 years. I never thought I was good enough or as a person, I mean, morally or clever enough to be a writer. So I automatically disqualified myself. Um, I was an ardent reader and I went to work in advertising and I ended up in New York and I wrote a very English little novel almost by accident when I was there. And a very nice editor at Farrah Strauss and Drew was very encouraging. It wasn't the right novel. And I do think writing novels is a little bit like making pancakes. And the first two are a bit fatty. 
So I threw the first two away and then I decided to really get serious. I was, um, I was working in advertising. I was running a little ad agency downtown um, in uh, New York and um, surrounded by creative people. But uh, it wasn't entirely fulfilling. You know, I knew what I wanted to do. So I just mainlined Chekhov and Raymond Carver, who I still absolutely adore for the lucidity of their writing and Hemingway. But Chekhov and Carver mostly just to sort of clear out my system. And then I wrote alongside a book by Graham Greene called The Heart of the Matter. And as I was writing, um, I would very often look at what I was writing and match it against it and say, is this anywhere in the same league? Is it even close? So that's kind of the basis of how I teach writing now. We have an idea of a hero book at the novelry to accompany you um, with deep study while you're writing. I love the idea of sort of leaning on another book, not so much for content, but just, you know, to match yourself and pace yourself. So I wrote a novel. Um, the first novel of mine was Becoming Strangers, and it did very, very well. It won the Society of Authors Betty Tress Prize for Best Novel Under 35. I just scraped in. And it went on the Man Booker um, long list and it won a couple of other prizes. And suddenly I was sort of catapulted into being a very well-reviewed and quite well-regarded writer and had lovely accolades and acclaim. I was deep at work on my second book, which is set in Northern Ireland um, during the Troubles. That was an extraordinary write. I was, went to live in Provence, but was spending my time flying into Belfast. Um, I spent a week, a month there for about a year researching for it. That book was um, very much a love affair kind of book. I absolutely you know, was passionate about it. That came next. And then um, a couple of years later, I wrote a very sordid story based in Provence, not quite the other side of Provence, probably what you'd expect. Then um, I wrote most recently, um, but some time ago now, in 2010, a book set in the southeast of England called The Old Romantic, um, which is about a man's obsession <laughs> with an undertaker <laughs> of a portly size. So I think slowed down a little bit after that. My children were in their teens and were very, very demanding. And um, I lost my way. So in about 2016, 17, I thought, right, I'm going to write another novel but I'm going to make it very hard on myself so that I get it done, so that I focus. So I'm going to write it, as Stephen King says, in a season, um, which is great advice. I'm going to write it in 90 days, but I'm going to make sure I do it by having quite an audience with me. So the bookseller kindly ran a feature that I was offering to write alongside other writers. And I thought, crikey, I better make a course or something out of this. So um, I recorded myself writing and teaching for 90 days in 2017. I was up at five writing and I was recording. I had a day job, so I was recording the lessons in the car on the way to work, which yeah, my yeah. writers seem to find both amusing and sort of like real life, you know, it's how novels, you know, how life happens. And how novels get done at the novel is, you know, you, you take an hour a day, you stick to it, you write it in 90 days. So, the course, people liked it because it was very sort of down to earth and realistic and fun and quite irreverent. And it's a real life novel working practice. So, it's grown since then. Now we've got 150 writers at the moment writing with me, but we've had hundreds through. We've got people agents and publishing contracts. And now I'm really kind of a mum and a manager to my writers. I look after them from the very beginning when they join us, look at their career and where they're going. And I aim unashamedly to get them mainstream publishing contracts. 
mostly novelists. We do have memoir writers, so some nonfiction, because the novelry is completely focused on story. Nearly all of my writers, like me, can write. You know, they write very well, but like me, not so hot on story. And I teach, really, to remind and refresh myself daily about, you know, things have to happen in a novel in the right order. (laughs) Uh, It has to have a story. So, yeah, that's what we do. We we tell stories and um, we support each other. And it's a very vibrant worldwide group now. That's fantastic. Yeah, I was struck by what you said there about story because a couple of years ago, I took some creative writing classes specializing in fiction and nonfiction. And we talked a lot about great sentences, but we didn't talk about storytelling, which looking back was a serious omission. <laughs> so <laughs> something I had to study later through reading books like, like Story by Robert McKee and, yes. and so on. I was just curious, you talked there about leaning in and not necessarily copying the work of other writers, but who've gone before us, but just studying what they've done. So could you elaborate on that approach a little bit? Well, of course, if I was brave, I'd be stealing because T.S. Eliot said, you know, don't borrow, steal. But no, um, leaning on great books is really important. It mirrors the act of faith when you're writing. It's a key tenet of the process, the novel, that you stick with one book for 90 days, that you read it nightly, almost like taking medicine before bed. You put the perfect prose in your head and hopefully you'll mimic it in the morning. Um, but also you're inwardly digesting how story works and you're kind of thinking, well, why am I carrying on reading this? What is it? Oh, because I want to find out what happens to her next. Um, so, you know, it very, it's a very simple way of digesting story as you're writing. As for prose, you know, it's lovely to put perfect or great prose in your head. And when my writers say, well, what if I end up, you know, writing like Milan Kundera? I said to them, that's a great problem to have. And we'll cope with that one when we get there. <laughs> but um, no, it's, um, I generally, if I'm writing a novel, I'll fixate on one book and often actually one tune as well that I'll play over and over again. The obsession, the sort of fixation, chimes really well with writing a novel. Yeah, I like that. Sometimes I listen to uh, instrumental music on repeat. Uh, you talked also there about uh, 90 days. So could you talk a little bit more about how you came up with 90 days and what, why you feel that that's a, a nice block of time for focusing on the novel? And why not? Oh, and then the op- opposite being, you know, why not spend years on a novel? Yeah, absolutely. 90 days is a lovely number. It's sort of, um, there was a little bit of science um, about the 90 days being the period to form a good habit. And, you know, that's often touted with people giving up drink and things that, you know, 90 days and you've cracked it. And what I try and form a habit in my writers is writing daily, because I do think that's how writers have prodigious careers with a number of books behind them. It was Graham Greene's habit to write daily just 500 words, an hour and a half, um, and he produced many, you know, beautiful books that way. Most working writers, from Hemingway Steinbeck, would work mornings to a regular amount of writing. The regularity, almost the monotony and the routine of it, it does you more favours than inspiration ever will. You know, showing up to that page to, to finish the scene after being away from it for 22, 23 hours and having looked at it in a different way. You know, there's a, there's a magic to that that, you know, no, no sort of poetics um, will ever, ever beat. So 90 days is lovely because you're in a season. So atmospherically, you know, writing in the same place with the same sort of lighting and feeling. I have written novels over years and they have just stayed sort of in the shallow ends um, where 
the worst thing a writer can do, in my opinion, when writing a novel is binge writing. That, gosh, you get a week or a weekend and you write thousands of words and then you don't write for weeks. It's purely pointless. If you were writing, you know, a novella in a weekend or a short story, then good on you or a poem. But novels don't happen that way. They can't. They need that regular. They need the space in between the daily writing for you to layer up and nuance the, the story. Um, it's all the thinking in between the writing and the tryst, the relationship that you're having with the question at the heart of your novel that's critical um, to getting the book out. So your subconscious can work on the stories and on the, the book, even when you're not sitting at your desk or in front of the computer? Yeah, and that's the most important part of it. In a way, when you write, you're just making notes of everything, all the conversations and visions that you've had in your head for the novel in the last in a few hours. So whether you're out shopping and you overheard something funny that you think is just right for what she's going to say in the next scene, all that stuff. And it's so transformative of life. And it's why I think many of us write, because it makes life much more valid, valuable and magical that everything that happens to you, you're seeing how you can use it in the novel, what it means, what different light it throws on things. And is that from first draft to finished draft in 90 days? No, absolutely not. Um, a first draft in 90 days, that's what we want to get done. And for me, I like my writers to write to a very high standard. So the first draft doesn't get shared with anyone apart from with me and their buddy. We look at the story together as we go um, and make sure it's all sort of commercially viable. But no, it's um, I tell my writers to spend a month at least away from it to raise their game again with great reading to think about what the story is, and then we go back and we edit it together. Um, and that takes about a month, and there can be many rounds of that. One or two for most of my writers, and then I pitch for them to literary agents. Um, and we have a lovely list of 10 leading agents worldwide, and I'll take my writer's work to them when they're ready. But for instance, I'll write easily 10 drafts of a novel. So a novel will take me about a year. The last one's taken about a year. At a good lick, it'll be a year. But now I've got this method down and I'm having to live with it and I'm loving it. You know, I'm hoping that'll be quite a lot more productive and I'm hoping that it'll be another year. And are you writing your novels, you know, on a computer or a pen and paper or through some other method? Yeah, and I say to my writers, do a bit of both. I use, um, I have a notebook where I write scenes um, as they come to me. But yes, I use desktop because um, I like a really big page to look at and I like to have a rolling manuscript so that I can go back and get myself together before you know, I carry on with the scene. You also talked there about commercially viable novels and stories. So in your experience, what's commercially viable these days? Are there any key things that a novel needs to include or exclude? Um, again, it's, you know, I say to my writers, ask me any question and the answer will pretty much be the same, which makes me dull company, um, which is story, story, story. It's what people read for. So your prose can be lovely. And as I say, nearly all of my writers' prose is lovely. But, um, you know, if, if the reader doesn't want to know what happened next, it's purely pointless how lovely a prose is. So I've got writers at the moment. One of our ladies has just won um, an award and she's on the shortlist for the Bath Novel Award. She writes beautifully, but the story, you know, you want to know what happens next. So that's the focus all the way through the first draft, but particularly we'll have our nose to it from second draft and onwards. 
and we will gut the novel at second draft. And then I show my writers how to get the storylines sorted. We'll start with that. That'll be the bones. And then to reattach the flesh of the story to those bones. So, you know, we don't leave story out. That won't happen to my writers. It'll be at the heart of what they're doing. So when you're fleshing out or editing the beats of a story, are you using index cards or are you, you know, writing outlines for chapters or do you follow some other methods? Well, I have a course called The Big Edit and we have a process um, of storyline that goes back to Aristotle's poetics um, that's based on, we just call it the five Fs. It's very simple. And once you see it, you see that most stories work that way. Then I get my writers to work in Scrivener or I show them how to use Microsoft Word and documents to set up five Fs and then they bring their material to those and attach them. So whether they're writing memoir or whether they're writing, you know, novel fiction, they'll use that story structure and pin everything to it. Um, but they will have seen from the 90-day novel course how that works and all the great novels, the five Fs, so they will understand it, you know, at quite a deep level. I like that. I like that. So I'm also curious, Louise, about how you're balancing the, the creative work that you do, you know, in the mornings. And then it sounds like your business is quite time consuming. You talk there about editing people's drafts and all the students that you're mentoring. So how do you balance both? Oh, it's just so, it's so lovely. I honestly feel so privileged to be part of the work that I'm doing with my writers. And the two things work beautifully together, but I write in the morning. So I will write until about midday to, I have a dog who keeps, you know, he runs pretty much my life, tells me what to do when. So between walking him, I'm writing. Um, and then, you know, it's my students from two o'clock through to about nine in the evening. And I work with them one by one um, online. And does your early morning routine still start at 5 a.m. or do you start later? <laughs> it varies. It depends what the dog says. About 5.30 or 6. Um, and then I'll get to, I'll try my hardest, you know how it is, not to look at emails and things, but go straight into the novel. Um, I spend a couple of hours and I walk my boy and then come back and do a little bit more. So writers talk about how the craft can be a little bit isolating. Are you okay with spending, you know, time alone for several hours each each morning or each day? Um, you- well, I totally agree with you. I became so isolated in the dark years after my fourth novel, um, before I started the novelry, that I noticed I was becoming really sort of grumpy and misanthropic. And I thought that is can't be good, can it, for a writer for writing novels, which you know is so driven by the empathy for characters in it. This is dangerous. That's why I started principally, you know, with the novel. I wanted company. I wanted contact. Um, and I wanted other writers and I wanted to talk to writers about writing. And But I didn't want them in my house and I didn't want, you know, to, to have, you know, we're wonderful writers. Really. I mean, my first book was called Becoming Strangers. We love to have friendships at kind of arm's length so that we can look at these curious specimens of people and then go home and write about them. <laughs> so the novel is perfect for that because you can dip in and out and get as much support and friendship as you want. I'm never lonely. You know, I'd love to be lonelier than I am in some ways. But having my dog and going to forests with him every day is like deep, deep peace. And that, you know, he perhaps and the novelry, you know, what saved my writer's backside. <laughs> I like I like that. So one thing that struck me with the novelry is it's very different to other courses related to writing books. Like a lot of those courses and my own included talk about self-publishing, but you're very much focused on traditional publishing. 
we are, I mean, I just want the best for my writers. So I say to them right at the beginning, look, in this small part of your life, you get to play God. Okay, this is the only part of your life you play God. So let's start with what you really want. So um, we talk then about how the story is going to honor their intentions, their deepest intentions and wishes. But we talk also about what they want from writing. So we're very clear. Some pretty much, I'd say 90% would love a commercial contract, um, would love to be published by one of the big five. And so we shape up from that very first phone call, we get them on the path towards that, towards getting an agent. So for my writers, when that's what they want, that's what we'll be aiming for. However, I have writers who write literary fiction, award-winning already for short stories, who, as they have said to me, they don't stand a snowball's chance in hell of getting a mainstream publishing commercial contract. So we're friendly with Galley Press, for instance, and we know the folks at Salt. And um, we have some news. I'm not sure when this is going out, but we're launching our own publishing imprint as well. Traditional methods, we'll give advances. We'll publish beautiful copies um, and we'll publish both to retailers and online because we want to win awards for those writers who wouldn't get a mainstream contract. So I hope that I can offer my writers a really broad range of options to publishing. And of course, you know, um, if writers say to me, look, and I've got some, you say, I just want to self-publish, um, I'll say to them, cool, let's get that story really, really good and see, you know, and you crack on with the self-publishing, but we'll get the story, you know, as good as any commercial book. Speaking of commercial books, your book, The Old Romantic, was an Oprah book of the week. What, what did that do for your book? Oh, it sold really well in America, which was hysterical, really, because it was such an English book written in such English vernacular. I never look at my online reviews, so I dread to think what American readers made of some of the turns of phrase, which are quite unpalatable in places. But yeah, no, that was, you know, (laughs) there's always a surprise in writing. You never know what's going to happen with a book or, you know, how it's going to turn out. So when a book is selected for Oprah Book of the Week, does that mean Oprah has actually read the book or is it by her team? Or I have no idea. And you know, the funny thing is, I don't know if it's the same for you or, you know, writers that you know, but I don't care about my book very much once it's published. I couldn't give a stuff. Um, I really, for me, and it's, I love the writing, um, but when it's done, it's a little bit like giving birth. You sort of don't remember the pain, you know, you don't think about it. I'm kind of on to the next one. So I don't really read reviews and I don't pay that much attention. What would you say to a writer who hasn't made it that far yet? Perhaps they're feeling blocked. They've got writer's block or they can't get the ideas flowing when they sit down. Well, I'm a bit of a school mom with my writers and I work quite counterintuitively and tease them. So I say to them, so write less. So write less. Write <laughs> a lot less. So tomorrow, when you go to sit down, just say to yourself, "I'm going to write." Okay, a hundred words I've got to do today, which is very, very little. Um, once you start being able to tick off small goals like that, your confidence comes back, and you'll be raring at the bit to write. So work counterintuitively. You've almost got to be like you're the golden goose. And you've got to pet yourself. But most writers are so nasty to themselves and mean and they get sad. And, you know, it's a story. You're creating a story. It's not about you or your personality. It doesn't mean anything about any of those things. It just means you need more thinking time. 
and that's all, you know. And so just take the pressure right off yourself. Take the pressure right off yourself. Uh, I, I like that. So when you say more thinking time, does that mean doing something that's nothing to do with writing? Does that mean reading books that inspire you or does it mean something else? Yeah, I mean, it can be both. With my writers, I say you've got two pedals. Um, luckily, you came with two. One is reading and one is writing. Um, so when one isn't working, when it runs out of juice, turn to the other one. I find that if I'm stuck, um, if I read something completely different, I'll start writing in the margins all over that book and ideas will come to me for the one that I'm working on. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're struggling, write less. Okay. And what about time spent writing? Is there an ideal amount of hours or minutes that you should spend working on something that's creative? Yeah, definitely. Um, I get, you know, Hemingway said, don't, you know, keep something in the well, keep something in the tank. And this is the problem. This is why you need routine more than you do inspiration. You've got to put that pen down where you're really excited to write tomorrow's scene and that you jump out of bed tomorrow. You can't wait to get back in there. But unfortunately, writers will write, 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 six, seven, eight hours, and then they feel exhausted and they don't want to go back to that tomorrow. They've done it all that's really a bad bad method and I get my writers out of that within the first week they're literally drilled I will only let them write 250 words a day for the first week so that they're on a very sort of short um, leash if you like and um, it's an hour a day Um, and I have some great published writers some bestseller writers who use our method because they said to me they just arse around all day otherwise you know a writer can find so many ways not to write it's hysterical. If you've got a novel to write, your fridge will be really clean. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I like that. So, I mean, like there's a lot of information and materials on your site. So do you write much nonfiction or do you get people to help you with, with the other materials and copywriting that goes alongside your business? Oh, no, I do absolutely, you know, everything um, with the business. It's got to, you know, come from me, you know, because... I'm going to be there for all of my writers all the way through. You know, I take enormous pride and pleasure. And it's just such a, it's a very moving job to do when someone's wanted to write something or say something for years and you're getting it done with them. Um, so, you know, I don't, there's nothing about the novelry that isn't done by me, nothing. So, yeah. It was great to talk to you today, Louise. Where can people find more information about your books or the novelry? So the novelry is at thenovelry.com. We have also writershop.co.uk where you can find lots of the books uh, that I've mentioned and all the ones I recommend and some, you know, as you were saying, Robert McKee's story um, book. Um, so great books for writers there. And, um, yeah, mine are all on Amazon. Uh, but, yes, head to thenovelry.com and the blog goes out every Sunday and has really useful, I hope, but certainly quite provocative advice for writers. And you can get that to your inbox by signing up at any one of our pages at the website. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Brian. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating on the iTunes store. And if you want to accomplish more with your writing, please visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and I'll send you a free email course. Thanks for listening.